Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hang like sprigs of time against the saffron buzz of the sitar. Right? This is good work. It really is. Is that, is that, is that a precise quote, Rob? It that, sounds familiar. Really 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 I think so. Yeah. 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 Shall I start yeah. proceeding? Yes, come on. Where, come on. Where, who we are and where we are. Yeah, this come is a on. Word podcast coming to you. And whether we can hear the rain. From the last year, festival. Which the weather's been really good since really I've been good. here. There's, yeah. there's these occasional showers because there's, you know, the, uh, as you'll know if you're watching the British Open, I think at the moment it's, it's, it's being law. It oh, is that right? Law. Okay. We've got Fraser Lurie, we've got Mark Allen, and we've got special guests in the first bit of the program, first bit of the podcast. Rob Young. Rob, welcome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Very nice Rob to see is you. here because he, he's the author of a book that is uh, Words Pick of the Month at the moment uh, in, in the word office uh, copies of it have been passed frantically from hand to hand aren't they Rob's book is Electric Eden uh, which is I suppose narrow sense about folk rock but in a broader sense about the kind of English artistic affair with the idea of the pre-industrial yeah. rural life and you know tracing that back to I don't know, to Cecil Shah and Edward Elgar and yeah, exactly. I mean, and, it, yeah. and right up to date. It did really start just by me wanting to write a sort of history of British folk rock. Right, um, and it expanded. And, and it just, you know, then I kind of got into, okay, well, if you're dealing with Legion Leaf and stuff like that, then you've got to start thinking about, well, there's a lot of debate about was this authentic folk or was this, a, you know, um, moving it on in some way. So I kind of needed to get my head around what, the notions of sort of you know what folk has really meant right. down the years, and I, I ended up okay. Let's just find out when did people start talking about folk at all in Britain. You know, and it ended up taking me back to the. You see, Victorian that's one of the things that I really admire about the book that it's a huge, great fact thing, which I recommend to anybody who wants a, a, a big read on the holiday. You know, because it, it's not afraid to go off in all kinds of directions, which is a great strength. Because you know, personally, I don't want to you know track by track breakdown of every album by Richard Thompson. Yeah, you know, I, I want I want to to put him into a bigger picture. Which you certainly do. Before we get to that, how's everybody getting on at Latitude so far? Mark Ellen? Very good. Yes, I'm. I'm I haven't shaved. Uh, I'm trying to look a bit stubbly uh, it, it, to try and give the impression to anybody I meet today that I'm camping. I'm not. You're not. <laughs> I'll be absolutely straight with everybody listening. I am staying in the most gorgeous cottage in Warbleswick. I got up this morning, strolled across the road, had a swim on the beach <laughs> came back enormous pile of bacon sandwiches with some fresh raspberries being prepared by our host next door I think is Richard Curtis and uh, Emma Freud that's the kind of place it is there's a little the village green there's a village green where, where very successful novelists are out gambling with their children or swings <laughs> this morning so ask, that's all I've got to say ask me how my night was Did you, are you camping aren't you Dave? I'm camping you know, which you know doesn't come easily to me but I am camping did you have loud uh, machine generated noise <laughs> to accompany your <laughs> till, non-slumber till three in the morning <laughs> you know, know, three. this is obviously part of the entertainment you know and some of the young people with me were you know were down there and happily having a 
great time. Uh, and that was just the word enclosure. The extraordinary <laughs> noise coming from the dance tent. And after a while, it's, I don't know if you were near this, Fraser. I was, But yeah. you, you also start to hear 70s rock and roll hits redone in dance style. Did you hear this, yeah. Rob? I thought, I'm yeah. laying here thinking, that yeah. world is turning by Fleetwood Mac, yeah. done with a thundering. <laughs> See, I love the idea that for you that's even more insulting. Not only are they being no, kept away, they're also trampling on the grave. Of I'm, not I'm not insulted. I'm not insulted at all, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and they finished uh, nearly three with... Now, you're going to confirm this, um, uh, Fraser, with a song. Is it called... Uh, it, Something in the New York something. Isn't that an old song by Kenny? Isn't that an old glam rock hit from the 70s? You've lost me now. I've no idea. Oh, I've forgotten the actual title of it. Is Kenny not your oeuvre? Not really, no. (laughs) Kenny came from Enfield. They were Enfield's... By 3am it was all one big noise as far as I was. So anyway, 3am, that stopped. And I thought, fine. Something else is a really, really worrying thing. Go on. Happened, emanated from a tent near me. And I'd seen signs of this earlier in the day. Mark, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. It's worrying news. The blues is making a comeback. Not yes. live. Do you mean someone as I was, woke up this morning? As I, is that what happened? Someone didn't go to bed this morning. <laughs> I think that's where it started. Woke up this I morning, noticed. drank a bottle of vodka. <laughs> Cues for the showers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, the I was making my way. Dream I was making my way, way to the site yesterday when I noticed a site that will be. I think familiar to you, Mark, from your you know your young days. There is a guy leaning against a pillar, and he's sort of playing a blues harmonica, kind of to himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Doesn't wish to doesn't wish to come out and say I am a performer. Maybe he's fresh out of prison. Playing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like to himself in the hope that people are going, "Good guy, aren't you little Walter? Yeah, that's right, you know, yeah. He's an undiscovered genius." Yeah. And yet he's playing quiet enough. Pilkinson. He's waiting for uh, Alan Lomax to come. Yes, he wants to be discovered. He's yes. come to, to Henham Park to be discovered. Anyway, that was that was Blues Chapter One, and so but about quarter past three, there started in a ring of tents near me. What I can only describe as campfire sing along. Did you join them? I did not. They played Kumbaya. Yeah, they did not have Kumbaya. Did you, did you go up and say, "Does anyone know Michael rode the boat ashore?" <laughs> they were singing about their own personal misery. You know what I mean? They were thinking about it. Pretty much they woke up this morning, my woman done gone. You know? Now, when Jeremy Spencer and Peter Green sang that kind of thing, now I know they were 25 year old callow youths from the home counties, but somehow they didn't seem it. Yeah, absolutely. But I can't have the same view. What are you going to say? Somebody doing the same thing nowadays. Yeah, they say. a second year philosophy graduate (laughs) is not going to have the same ring. He's learned off an Apple Mac. (laughs) And, And, you know. This went on for the best part of two countdown, two, two hours. hours oh you know, God. and uh, you know, so I, I literally had no sleep. You know, it'll be but exactly the, the same this evening. See, I'm rather empty. I don't think it will be. I'm a bit too knackered from the first night to do the second night. But here's the good news. So that's the bad news about my night's sleep and my night's camping. Here's the good news. I took advantage of that early rising, i.e., didn't go to sleep, to go in the shower. Brilliant news. Hot water. You're kidding. Fantastic. <laughs> That's astonishing. Emerge, you know. Very cl- Oh, and a look at this. It's brilliant. Wow. And I come in with... And the hind has brought us some cups of coffee. We're all... I don't call it Wearing confetti. sturdy, waterproof uh, what do we call clothing, that? let Cafetier. me tell you. Yeah. I think we do. Marvellous. So... Uh, Latte tube. Yes. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> so, uh, I need so all the coffee I can it? do. No, George, you're wrong. No, thanks. No, no, no I'm fine. Anna, thank you very much. Very kind. Uh, I need all the coffee I can, I can, um, I can swallow today to, to get me through what is undoubtedly <laughs> going to be a testing day. But the weather's going to improve. So, Fraser, how was your night of sleeping? Uh, my night of sleeping was about the same as yours. I was woken early this morning by some girl singing R&B in a very loud voice to herself. Oh, Did you hear that? No. Moaning and groaning. It was <laughs> awful. This wasn't intense ecstasy. This was about 30 yards away, 30 yards south of where I was pitched. I don't know what she was See, up to. I still can't get used to it. Here's the thing I can't get used to about camping. I sort of regard the walls, the, the, you know, the, 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 the walls of a tent as being like walls. Oh, no. They're not. Mm, they're not. It doesn't work like that, does it? You know, and so you can't right. have a brief Dream conversation off. with the wife, you know, like, where are you going now? Right. You know what I mean? Thanks. Without it being absolutely heard by everybody. Everything has to be done at a whisper. 
everything's got to be done with whisper. So, so Rob, how was your? You were on the canvas, or not? well, I, yes. I, the last time I actually camped at a festival was Glastonbury '87. Oh, wow! And that wow. ended dismally with who played, uh, with, who played that? Uh, game? That was uh, Elvis Costello, oh, yes. New Order. Um, that was cover Julian of Coates, right? Yeah, yeah it was, sensation uh, that sweeping the nation was there. Um, yeah, it ended uh, dismally with the theft of my bag and trousers <laughs> last night. <laughs> and, and trousers, and tra- on top of the bag, no someone snatched. So the you lock. made your yeah. way back. Made my way borrowed a pair of leggings from a female friend and went to report it to the police. So I swore to myself I'd never ever camp at a festival again. But the worst thing about coming out of Glastonbury wearing a pair of leggings is that people might have thought you'd gone and dressed that way intentionally. Well, the thing is, that's the thing. It was the last night, and it's not that unusual. The last night of Glastonbury. No, it wasn't. It wasn't then. Are you here in a professional? Anyway, well, my wife is here in professional. She's involved in the art stuff in the woods. She's been. Curating. So what's she doing? That. Curating. Curating. So she's putting together nebulous, all stuff. Yeah, there's a team of them that's uh, invited various artists, and there's some film things going on and sound art. Yes, stuff. and I noticed there was a film so, uh, uh, running in the woods. Yeah, when I, when yeah. I uh, was making my way back to my tent last night. So, the, yeah. My favourite thing that I've seen so far, um, you know, I saw things on the world stage. Um, and uh, I saw the National, and uh, and on the big stage I saw Florence and the Machine, and I saw a zany classical pianist. But the best thing I saw was an extraordinary French performance kind of ballet on stilts troupe <laughs> making their way across the lake. Did you see this? I did. It was fantastic. That involved ravens, ravens on stilts. Or they kind of look like the Pillsbury Doughboy or the yeah. Michelin Man, right. giant balloony men, twenty four foot tall. What time was that? Well, I've been just Half as 12, Florence and the Machine was. Finishing. Oh, was I it as late as that? I don't know. And we were making our way oh, towards that, there, and we saw these ghostly figures going across the lake, and uh, with a, accompanied by fantastic Japanese percussion um, ensemble, like Kodo drummer kind of. Like uh, yeah, I suppose they're like Japanese Burundi drummers, fantastic. if you can imagine a little bit of an amalgam of that. But and it was, was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Moving yeah, it was a perfect. gorgeous evening, and they had uh, projections of uh, of images through water on the other side of the of, of the bridge, and it was genuinely wonderful, you know. So I, you know, my my objective on with latitude is just wander. That's the plan. And uh, don't chase things because you'll miss them. Probably. I, I was just I was wandering through that forest bit this morning, and I'm just wondering, Rob, if this was something to do with your wife. Is there's, there's an art installation? With a huge painting, a kind of cartoonish painting, but it's a good um, it could be. I and it says, see, "What yes. little talent I once possessed, I didn't manage to entirely drink away." And then the caption <laughs> oh, is, yes. "The artist who was haunted by a curious regret." And I thought it gave me a you know, pause for thought. Really. I was on my way running down here to do this podcast, and was delayed because right, I had to right. sit and scratch my chin alone in this forest. <laughs> did you? Did you also pass the person who was painting inside a kind of yes, I saw little shuttered yeah. off? No. Area where it says the children. A, no, no images not suitable for children. Yeah. It's nothing terribly no horrifying, but you know. And and you're just sort of tempted to go inside and and see this person painting. It's all done with enormous charm and lightness of touch. You know, I think it's absolutely terrific. It's my first time here. You know, isn't it? So, Rob, your book, as we were talking about at the beginning, started as a, as a as the story of, of folk rock and then expanded to to look at where it came from and where it went to. Where do you trace folk back to when people started talking about folk music? Because that's a pretty yeah, well, it, yeah. kind of it's, it's, considered term, isn't it? It is. It's quite surprising. I mean, the first actual usage of the word folk and folklore comes in this article in the Athenaeum magazine in 1843. <laughs> right. There's no use, and it doesn't appear in the dictionary until the late 1800s. It's quite so surprising. So ploughmen are not sitting out there in so, the 16th century they're not saying going, let's sing a, No, they're not <laughs> saying that. <laughs> they're no. not doing that. They no, go to the uh, folk club tonight. No, exactly. No, there's it's no, there's no awareness of, of that. There's day, no like, oh, you're such a Folky, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Where's your down there? Finger in your ear. Yeah. No, no, there's nothing like that. So it's it only really becomes self-conscious at the end of the Victorian era, really. And then, then you get these sort of amateur collectors starting to go out, you know, slightly patronisingly in some cases, you know, just wandering around villages. But it's kind of done with good intentions because they don't want this stuff to die out. You know, they're realising that it's... It's like um, the First World War, isn't it? You only start bothering about it when the last of the veterans... Exactly, die. yeah, yeah. It's when it yeah, goes yeah, out of right. living memory. And, of course, it's a great age of conservation. It's when the National Trust was set up. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's a, there's a lot of kind of philanthropy at that time, anyway. So, so this, this happens, and it, it just sort of gathers pace, and then Cecil Sharp comes along, who's the sort of figurehead of this stuff, and he just sort of... Typically, a lot of people who seem to get involved in folk seem to get 
it's very it's very sudden conversion a lot of the time. You know, it's just he he wasn't particularly interested in folk Absolutely at all. True. He was a composer, failed composer really, and teacher. Just suddenly happened to look out of his window one Boxing Day and saw some saw a Morris dance side messing around and just kind of got transported and then heard another and then person singing a song. The Gardener, John England. Yeah, exactly. Nineteen ninety three. Yeah, again, just quite randomly. And so then it's, it's like W. C. Handy heard the blues, didn't he? Famously, right. sitting on a railway station. Yeah, heard a so it's, singing, it's just. Thought, that's an odd noise. You heard the blues this morning, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you said yeah, blues. Whip out Shut you. up. I'll give you a blues, Mel. Keep the noise down, blues. You're still at the I'll give you the blues. <laughs> give you something to sing. Why about. I alter? No, no it's, it's such a lovely bit in, in Rob's, Rob's book where, where um, Cecil Sharp... Uh, yeah, here's here's the um, the gardener singing. Runs out, if I remember rightly, with a pad and a, and a score with with notation. Mm. Writes down the song and the lyrics, and then gets his local choir to perform it that night. Yeah, am I right? That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Performs it at that's the, piano. the speed at which he wants this thing to proceed. He has discovered folk music and wants to. This is evangelism, really. Mm, isn't absolutely, it? yeah, yeah. And I, and I it... absolutely love that, and I love the way that you've you've traced the whole thing back to, um, you know, to uh, Vaughan Williams. And uh, you know Holston, and uh, you know, and also eventually with the, the literary figures, um, the Lewis Carrolls and the, and the Blakes. You know, all the uh, incredible, rich variety of um, of uh, different cultures fed into folk music. Yeah, because that's I think something that's often missed. A lot of people who talk about folk, actually, for me, folk is sort of really intertwined with the sort of literary tradition, and you know, sort of it's it's not just a separate thing anymore you know it's become because it's always been the book is really you know not so much about the history of trad folk it's about the way it sort of just got mixed into the rest of the culture in a way and sort of you know informs it and influences writers that feeds back into a lot of the music and um, you know just to try and try and investigate how that's worked really is it the case that that you're that you're constantly having to resist the the um the attempts of certain people to say all right this is the pure item now you know what i mean we stop now. We've decided what mm. folk is. I get that impression. You know, when you're talking about the um, the the singers' club, I think in, yeah. in, in the, the very early sixties, late fifties, early sixties yeah. in London, that the classic picture that people might have seen of Bob Dylan, uh, twenty-one yeah, years the... old or whatever he is, <laughs> appearing the in the back rats. room of a pub, uh, which is now the Water Rats, yeah. just near King's Cross Station. And he's doing his stuff, and he and he's being watched by these rather august figures. Yeah, yeah rather And you brilliantly describe in the book. How, he, how he's completely destroyed their plan. How that <laughs> yeah, point? Tell yeah, us more yeah. about that. Well, yeah, you know, because obviously you and McCole, Peggy Seeger, A.L. Lloyd, all these people really had the folk scene sewn up. You know, they used to they had the, the ear of the BBC. You know, they were communists. They were getting the message across. And, you know, they set up, really, it was McCole largely responsible, I think, for setting up the sort of folk club network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it, so it's all there by the early 60s and then you get this new generation suddenly coming through Dylan is the absolute king you know and doing something that really is beyond folk by that point you know he's starting to write his own stuff it's in, in the same sort of idiom it's you know but he's just uh, yeah you know it's just other stuff coming through you know it's the, the for him there's no point exploring trad folk to this logical conclusion he's yes. starting to bring in influences from beat the beats and you know the kind of visionary literature and so on and of course his and own genius his and own material his own stuff and the rules yeah don't, don't they, do, uh, correct me if i'm wrong don't, don't they have a no guitars rule at that point they that did for breaks. a while they did for a while i'm not sure if he broke it but oh, i mean right. that the, you know that, that's another funny thing i found in researching this book was do you know how hard it was i mean you, you think about the folk musician a guy with a guitar girl with a guitar but you couldn't buy a guitar in Britain until sort of you know mid to late 50s it really? was impossible to you know it didn't really exist if you wanted to buy a guitar you had to go down to the docks at Southampton or, or um, Tilbury or something and see if there were any anyone coming in from New York you know, any merchant sailors who happened to have bought a guitar in, in the States and brought it over they were really unknown you couldn't there weren't guitar shops Probably maybe Spanish guitars yeah yeah so, so when did this start appearing really like, sort of you know kind of towards the late it was really 50s. I mean that's what brought Skiffle in you know when they finally right. started to gather, yes. actually become more available, probably you know fifty five, fifty six. That's when it started. But because was was okay. guitars you know, were always associated when I was very small with kind of cowboy music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Burl Ives and that Roy kind Rogers. Of, yeah, Burl yeah, Ives. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, there were kind of things that guys played around campfires. Don't remind me. On the range, we should have been safely on the range, not me. Look after your cattle. Right, so it's a popular. Folk, came in a yeah. different 
Yeah, he's, he's coming attack. in from the sort of you know Woody Guthrie angle and all Pete Seeger and all that side, you know, which was an influence on certain musicians in Britain as well. But you know, Dylan sort of I think sort of gave it a lot of legitimacy in a way, and you know, allowed people like Roy Harper and um, Wiz Jones and you know this kind of generation of people to really come through. I mean, Davy Graham on our side I think was a pioneer before Dylan yes, came through. He's really crucial, yeah. and obviously the whole world music yeah, aspect of what he did, it, yeah. yeah. Folk Roots album with, with Shirley Collins. There's so, there's so many things about the book so fascinating. One of them is, is I'm constantly comparing it to the evolution of rock music at, at the same time. And uh, I was interested in both when I was a teenager. And rock music did seem so much more superficial because it just seemed to be, which of course it wasn't really. I mean, Led Zeppelin had a huge number of um, different strands that were feeding into them, blues and R&B and folk music. But it was still rock music and it was considered to be, um, you know, something fairly, fairly, fairly slight but important. Whereas the impression you get, you know, after you've written your overview, you then get a... Uh, chapter each, really, on very significant figures. So you get a federal convention, you get the incredible string band, um, you get Sandy Denny, you get um, you know Vashti Bunyan's mm. fantastic journey, which we must talk mm. about actually. And the feeling you get in all of it is a terrible sort of intellectual intensity. You know that they're all sitting around, sort of scratching their chins, you know, and talking about the string band. So there's Carowet with Dylan Thomas, Robbie Burns, Blake Lewis Carroll. All these people are feeding into their lyrics and. Mm. A million different Eastern philosophies and religions, you know. So, and musically, just such complexity, and it, it, you realise what a very, very ornate and complicated and academic world it was, you know. I think I think I agree. I I wouldn't say serious young men. Well, they were serious. I would probably draw the line at academic. I don't. I actually think it was. Yeah, Yeah, that makes it sound a bit. You know, I actually don't. think it's like four. Actually, right. Yeah, yeah, because that's the great thing about the string band. I think is that you know they just. It's a very short period of time when they did. I think they're great. You know first four albums and then started to sort of peter out really but yeah. um, that moment you know there's two or three years you know it's an incredible time let's, of discovery let's for talk them. about that moment because yeah. that applies to not just the, the string band but also Fairport Convention Sandy Denny you know pretty yeah. much round about same the same time, time. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. 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 and pretty much all brought to the fall by Joe Boyd yeah, it's you true. Know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the witch season. Produ- produced and discovered and produced records that we still listen to today, and have not lost any of their. And his savor. his involvement, you know, is I didn't realize it was so great. I mean, he even chooses the artist at one point, uh, the fool. They illustrate the second string band, mm. the third string band, the, the uh, uh, Five Thousand Spirits. So he's not only helping them think of titles for their records and and uh, putting them in touch with, with various other musicians and things and uh, and, and managing them. Uh, and being their A and R man and producer, but he's also actually thinking of how to illustrate. Yeah, and of course, right. Involved. Yeah, right at that moment, of course, he's also running the UFO club. So he's yes. absolutely so he's it's that got... main line from the sort of psychedelic, how, how psychedelic they, underground. How much of the success of those things that you think is down to the fact that he was American and he came from a different? Well, I think naturally, yeah, you know, being the outsider, you you can somehow sometimes you can get a handle on you know a culture quickly. I'm pouring out a cup of coffee on the mic, viewers. It's not me weeing into a glass in the corner. Because <laughs> he's always got that thing, Joe Boyd, about the kind of cultural cringe of the English, you know, about their own music. Yeah. That we're vaguely embarrassed about our own music, whereas we think American vernacular music is immensely cool and deep. Yeah, well, so obviously, cool. you know, Americans have this power, you know, they can come steaming in. I mean, Alan Lomax was the same, you know, when he lived in this country for eight years in the 50s. And I think also, possibly without him, we wouldn't have quite had the folk scene and revival in exactly the same way because he absolutely steamed ahead with it and got lots of interesting stuff onto the radio and you know re- really sort of helped to expand it and I think Boyd had a similar you know played a similar kind of role in that he actually accelerated things in a way that you know that maybe it wouldn't have been if it was left to this sort of loose network of yes polite English you know, English people I find I find the the, the constant theme of uh, of this sort of wonderful um, optimism and um, just just idealistic kind of ecstasy that all these people are operating on. Very, very heartwarming. Uh, and as, you know, Vashti Bunyan, I think you should very briefly tell them, for people listening don't know the story, it is quite a story. Vashti Bunyan's quite well known now because she came back through uh, a famous television advert and then uh, Joe put her on stage at the Barbican and she's very much in, in the frame again. But, you know, for 30 odd years she was out of the picture. 
describe what happened to her. It's an amazing story about her and Donovan. And the, yeah, well, it really, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the starting point of the book because it, it sort of just symbolised so much of her story for me. The whole, the whole idea of the book. I mean, she was basically a failed pop singer. She really wanted to be a pop star. She has no, no embarrassment about saying that. Um, and then uh, went to sort of live for a while in the woods with her boyfriend, who was an art student. And then they just sort of one day just happened upon this gypsy caravan off uh, the side of the road somewhere, and they just sort of got this idea. Well, okay, we'll buy this caravan and we'll go wandering and they, they were they were friends with Donovan at the time and he had just bought some islands up in the up off sky people did that uh, yeah islands, of course yeah. you know the song and Klett makes three which is on one of his that's albums. right Klett is one of those al- islands so islands. he was he wanted to set up this kind of uh, Sylvanian you know sort of um, commune. hippie commune up it was there, a commune absolutely yeah. he wasn't the only one who did that sort of thing but it was, he, anyway he um, had a bunch of people I think other, apparently Mick Softly who was a sort of quite interesting musician yes. at the time he was on his way up there as well and a few others. So they had this idea. They weren't just going to drive up there. They were Vashti Bunyan and her boyfriend. They were going to walk the entire length of Britain from Kent right up there with this caravan, a horse pulling it, and a dog. And it took about a year and a half in the end. And they just set out. You know, they're walking up. Well, quite often busy roads. Actually, it wasn't only back lanes. You know, stopping, doing odd jobs on the way. Getting looked after by gypsies and travellers that they went well into. Received a lot. Of no, no, they were kicked out. Have yeah. quaint, you know, a couple of hippies with a gypsy caravan. Yeah, no, they, they thought, she, get off the road. Yeah, she told me they were worried that they'd be stealing people's children from villages and so on. So, <laughs> so they sort of. I mean, they got to the Lake Districts in the winter. They stopped there for a few months, and then uh, carried on. Finally, when they got to the island. Donovan had actually left. He'd given up on that. <laughs> he'd, gone to, uh, he'd gone to Greece. <laughs> yeah, he was on a ride. That's right. Never go to an island if a pop star tells you. Yeah, yeah. Particularly not in a caravan. So, he'd be gone. <laughs> but I love about it is, is the literal way that she does everything, which yeah. is so emblematic of a lot of the thinking at the time that people feel that yeah. you ha- felt that you had to do things. Authentically, you had to play yeah. the authentic instrument. You had to write the authentic song. Exactly. You had to have the yeah. right, um, you know, um, influences. And the idea that you would go to see Donovan, but you would do it on a horse drawn car. And, and, and by the time you got there, eighteen months later, he got yeah. <laughs> he got tired of tired of making his tea on a copper kettle, you know. And so. He just had enough. He wanted yeah. to go to Los Angeles or whatever. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. But she she stayed anyway and found another island to live on, and they they lived there, you know, for another year. And they're sort of again, you know, they're just in this tiny cottage, Crofter's cottage, very unfriendly locals. <laughs> Had to grow their own potatoes, you know, and sort of. I mean, you know, it's well, not, not an easy life. Work. They not are an easy life. Alienated yeah, the yeah. The, the islanders t- made sure they talked, you know, Gaelic, so yeah, they couldn't they be understood. Shops, they immediately switched to Gaelic, don't they? Yeah, feel yeah. Very, very well. I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Yeah, so she wrote these songs anyway, which became this album, "Just Another Diamond Day," which is sort of on on the way, and that's that's the album that grew out of this experience. Is anybody still doing this kind of thing in your, you know, because your book comes right up to date, but. Is anybody pursuing that kind of dream? I haven't come across... I think the dreams are coming back in certain musicians. I'm not, I'm not sure that anyone is pursuing it to that level of extremity. Right. Um, They're doing it you know, on the I web. I think it's a different... Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned um, Julian Cope. You know, yeah. I don't know actually you call him a folk musician, but obviously very interested in a lot of that kind of um, you know, pagan... Yeah, form. yeah. And there's, you mentioned the cover of his Jehovah Kill album, which is of a, of a Cavanish stone circle, isn't mm. it? And uh, in fact, I think you said something about the uh, the inflammatory Steve notes uh, call for a pagan revolution of the mind to combat the straight-lined Roman thinking of the imperialist authority. Which is brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? And I love the idea that Cope... Claim the Romans. Well, Cope is somehow looking for someone to have a go at. He's picked on the Romans. Yeah. What he's actually saying is England was a lovely, free well, it's, it's, it's a fair point. What the Romans have done Because imperialism, us, yeah. there's a kind of statute of limitations on imperialism. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to be ashamed of it for 300 years. Then after that, it's a glorious contribution to world civilization, <laughs> isn't it? But see, Cope's view of it, and I, I love this kind of, uh, sort of provisionist... <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah? We the England, lovely time. People everyone just picking apples, you know, playing the old loot. Bit of woad, little tiny bit of woad. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Maybe a bit of mead, maybe a bonfire. You know, um, a bit of pagan sacrifice. Okay, just you know, go with it. Suddenly, <laughs> so one day, talking Latin. So if we want our road straight. They're talking Latin. So that's rude. Isn't it? You know, <laughs> makes you feel left out. You know, and they start to say we've got to have central heating and yeah. you know, I don't know some sort of new laws and yeah. stuff. Hong Kong. We've got hot and cold water. All the showers. Well, he's horrible metal hats. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's an opportunity a Roman rock festival <laughs> yes it is it's a great opportunity but all the Romans are cast these straights and just come in and ruin everything the man the man that's right so Julian G- Cope is one of the people who's you know, still self-consciously looking back to mm. some kind of you know, Eden. You know, yeah. and people choose their Edens. Exactly, you choose your Arcadia. Absolutely, and that's that's the thing. That's really the idea of the book is that there are all these different ways of seeing some kind of you know idealistic idea of, and it's all mixed up with the past. But it's somehow but it, it, it the lives idea is in, progressing it through it as people. well. It, it does. I really think so. You know, does it live in French people as well. It probably does. I think it does. I th- definitely, I think in German, in Germany, there is this sort of romance of the forest, the forest and the ancient, you know, yeah. and the mountains and that kind it's of stuff. It's the stuff, stuff that's gone, absolutely. but we, yeah. we've inherited it. It's in very much in, you know, in sort of interior landscape right, in a way. Right, you know, right. I do think it's there. And well, I think, it's you know, and for, for all that, you know, there is an absurdity about it. At the same time, I think I say towards the end of the book, you know, it's actually, of course, it's 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 ridiculous to to want this stuff to disappear and to, you know, go back to living in straw houses or whatever. But somehow, you know, it's important to keep keep that I think it's good that these dreams are there you know because otherwise you, you know you've lost any desire to, to, to improve the world well I, I, suppose, yeah, I, suppose, I suppose popularity of festivals like Latitude is just bears this out to the yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, young professionals who all work in the, in the city or in the media or whatever you know a couple of times a year go back to the country absolutely yeah. with, their, with their folding yeah. up furniture and their small flaxen and haired children yeah, and all that. their wine box <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. yes and I've the got one yeah let's just you know, run run wild in the country so Rob it's yeah. a terrific book honestly can't recommend it too highly Electric Eden who's it published by it's Faber it's yeah. published by Faber and it's out now it's, isn't it it's actually, actually out on the 5th, 5th of August the 5th of August this is out. so rare yeah. to be yeah. talking to you know uh, to somebody very, you know with a book actually coming yeah. out you know. we're doing things properly doing things properly yeah. and we'll put a link to it on the site uh, sure. it's and thanks very much for dropping in our commodious porter cabin yeah, here at Latitude thanks. what else are you looking forward to seeing uh, who am I looking forward to seeing there's a bunch of stuff you know what I haven't even been given a catalogue yet so oh. I'm still a bit in the dark alright oh, <laughs> but uh, I think because they cost eight pounds yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. way uh, as much as a break but they are, they are very good well I'm sure wander around and you'll find something mm. thanks very much yeah. for coming thanks for having me it's great the word a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, Jeff, have you been? What I thought we'd do yes. is talk about um, briefly some of the. How long have you been here? I got here on Thursday. And you're broadcasting from here? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you got here from Thursday, that's perfect because I think what we need is a little bit of a festival review. Yes. Okay, okay. And I've seen a few things, and Dave's seen a few things. Yeah. Despite our terrible journeys, and Fraser's seen a few things. You're mic'd up, aren't you? Yes, yeah. I am. So I thought before we got on to talking about um, the great work of Absolute Radio, <laughs> well, but surely we're not going to do that. <laughs> surely not. We can have a plug spot. We could. I see why not. I think we should talk about the things you've seen because you've been here um, to, since Thursday. So I have a, a, give us a few highlights. Well, I've been largely ensconced in, um, in in a caravan interviewing people, but I saw a little bit of Richard Hawley last night, who I thought was fantastic. Wasn't that good? Stunning. It was yeah. so good and. Um, I'd interviewed him just before, and because there's so much, our, our little setup is right next to the main stage, and because there's so much noise bleeding through from the speakers, they, they've brought in yesterday special microphones, and they look very much like the ones that you would see a racing commentator oh, right. using. So the, it fits over your mouth. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. So if you've ever wondered what you look like, mustachioed. It's like your Mitchell and Webb used distance. to do the snooker thing, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> just the thing he uses it's anyway. your mouth a certain distance from the mic, an optimum distance. I think it is, yeah, 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 for people with terrible mic technique, which you may notice that I have already <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but anyway, we're joined, incidentally, by, by Jeff Lloyd, which is very exciting. I'm who's a- here in the capacity of, of uh, Absolute Radio as, yes. a, as a, 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 a reviewer of the festival. Yes. So, so anyway, Richard uh, took one look at this microphone and... Um the maker of the microphone, he, he noticed, was Coles. And just to describe it to the people listening to the podcast, it, it looks sort of Bakelite. It, it looked like it was from the 1940s. In fact, it was a colour that you just don't see microphones, or in fact, any technology made in these days. It was dark brown, which I don't think is in Jonathan Ives' palette at Apple. Right, certainly. no, no. <laughs> oh, just in, just, uh, do you think this is the festival with the most iPhones? 
I think it would. I think it would definitely be. It could well be. Yeah. I saw a classical pianist playing a piece where he's reading the music off an iPad last night. So I'm saying that's a first. That's beautiful. Anyway, go on. Was he? Was it on a pontoon floating on the lake? No, no, he wasn't. He was. He was earthbound. Because there was a piano last year. It was a big psychedelic piano with a sign saying "Play Me." Yeah, there is one in the woods actually. In a little booth. I love all that stuff. I'm sorry. So, so Richard Hawley takes one look at this microphone. It says Coles on it. He says, "Oh, this is German technology." In fact. It's it's Nazi technology. Um, it was developed for communication systems during the Second World War. He says uh, also see Telefunken, and he, yes. he mentions a couple of others. And then he says, "But do you know who bought the patent to this technology after the Second World War?" And I didn't, but I was wrapped. <laughs> and he said, um, he, "On the edge of a seat." Yeah, he, he said, uh, "Bing Crosby." So Bing Crosby bought the patent to lots of Nazi sound technology, and one of the pieces of sound technology he bought the um, patent to was multi-track recording, Yes, which was developed, I didn't realise this, during Hitler's speeches, I don't know if it would be the Nuremberg rallies or whatever, but to, to be able to mix the, the crowd atmos yes. and, and Hitler's uh, despotic ranting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they developed multi-track, two-track two Technology. So, in a way, we have Adolf Hitler to thank for every rock and roll recording from the sort of late fifties onwards. I think there was a Radio Four uh, archive hour documentary about this about a year ago, presented mm. by Stephen Fry. That so much of the, of the kind of hi-fi technology of the last 40, 50 years was developed in the thirties in Germany. I'm trying to get the headline: Is it Third Reich in the afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> Because Mr. Sennheiser, who died recently, was the inventor of the cheap headphone, wasn't he? And, right. Uh, and he died in about ninety or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he worked in the in the German forces during the thirties, yeah. developing this stuff. You know, yeah. so it, it does go back. You see, I thought it was just the autobahns and the Volkswagen Beetle. No, no, but no. no. There's, there's so much more, isn't yes, there? Yeah. Have you ever seen that sketch? I think it does the rounds online. It's supposed to be uh, Adolf Hitler's. Idea for the uh, for the Volkswagen Beetle that he sketched on the back of a napkin, in, um, and you know it has surely less authenticity if that's possible than the Hitler Diaries because it is you know just a fine rough sketch of a Volkswagen Beetle and there's no way that Adolf just sketched Go and build it over. Me this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose they haven't done a kind of downfall version of that. No, <laughs> millions. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure they have. So you're broadcasting from here. What are you doing? Yeah, they're ferrying in people to interview. Yeah, so um, it's it's odd, really, because... Here comes somebody's bursting oh, in the door. Don't worry, <laughs> carry on, keep going. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we, we have a little camper van, which you know looks like a hippie, hippie sort of festival-y camper van, only it doesn't drive, so they have to bring it in on a truck. <laughs> it's had all its, its guts taken out. And they, they set it up just behind the main stage, but on the first day they set it up next to the speaker stack, which uh, wasn't the smartest idea. No. So uh, we've, we've had some people push it round the other side. I couldn't get involved for health, health and I mean, safety even reasons. Here, even here, anyone listening to this will hear loud music coming. That is actually people soundchecking, I think, on the obelisk stage. Yeah. probably two to 300 yards away from... So yeah. you were actually broadcasting from right by the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first night I couldn't hear it. I had to take my headphones off and, and, and just hope, really, because there was so much racket in there. Um, and there weren't even any acts on. It was the, the Thursday night when there were no musical acts apart from Tom Jones in the woods at midnight. But they were. Um, Did you see that? I didn't. I tried to. I tried to, but I couldn't get close. Did either of you go? It, it divided the critics. No, neither of us went, but uh, it didn't get. It got some quite harsh reviews from people. Yeah, I, a couple. I'm not quite sure why. A couple of lads who I worked with um, climbed over fences to get there, and and they said, I mean, I I, I like the record. Um, I know the thing that the, the thing that a lot of people have said is maybe it will do for Tom Jones, um, what the Rick Rubin stuff did for Johnny Cash. <laughs> They're all hope. That's what the press. That's what, the press, that's what Tom First, Jones is saying. <laughs> And, and I would offer one piece of advice to, to people who want to do that because they've done it with Neil Diamond, they've yeah. done it with Glenn Campbell, they've done it with loads of sort of people in their sixties, yeah. pop singers. First, start with your craggy, fabulous Andy Earl photograph yeah. on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then work back, work back yeah. from that because it's going to be it's going to be a black and white picture of a yeah. man who's been through unbelievable. Yeah. It, it looks like a, level you know, it looks like he come wandered in out the desert. You've got to you know, look like, a, like a Native American Indian, <laughs> you've got to look like Willie Nelson, because <laughs> the music is just background yeah. I think it's yeah. the greatest album sleeve ever I agree. yeah 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 because, and I think it so colours people's view of that music yes which is very good music yeah yeah but yeah. it's not extraordinary music yeah it's just resounds yeah against that picture but can can that exist in the digital age though you know? well very good point you know, 
this was pre-digital, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, of course, but if you've got people like Tom Jones trying to emulate yes. it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. can, can that be done in the digital age where the music's... You know, the, album, the artwork does exist, but it doesn't. You don't, they're not married in the no, same no, no, way. No, no, and, true. you know, is, is that true of a lot of right. album covers? Yeah. Also, the Welsh don't really have that cowboy tradition to fall back on. <laughs> 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 you see, but it wouldn't be hard. You know, Delia's gone dry. or whatever, you know, all those murder ballads Johnny Cash sings. It sounded like Delilah. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down Delilah. Have it produced by Nick Cave. It's your murder ballad, isn't oh, it? Oh, I'd love to hear the That's young that, that, the young new Mexican puppeteers produced by Nick Cave would be fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, an interesting thing, actually, just speaking of the, 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 the look he's come for, he's, of course, stopped dyeing his hair, and he's allowed it to grow through white now. And we like all Jimmy used, Page, and both, yeah. both look great. Both yeah, well, much well, we're all nice. used to the boot polish look for Tom yeah. Jones. And, uh, and he says his, his reason that he hasn't done it so far is that every Christmas... He, he takes a break. He takes four to six weeks off. And during that time, he doesn't dye the hair. He just lets it die, uh, grow through. And he has done for years. Which I think just that in itself is an interesting insight into the man that the, he lets the, himself go oh, yeah. every Christmas. That's That's right. the, yeah. But he he's, puts he's, on two stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks like, it looks like uh, Ricky Domlinson out of the you know, yeah, 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 for yeah. about a month, a year. <laughs> he sits in a sofa, loosens his <laughs> yeah, That's right. And yeah. Breaks wind. Belgian <laughs> farting uh, he, he vigorously and eating crisps. I don't. I mean, you you've started this, but I, uh, so I don't, I don't feel too bad about reducing it to this level. But he, he, he does look like a man who wouldn't want to stray too far from the lavatory. He looks like he could be a slave to his bowels. No, no, that's, that's a fair comment yeah. and well made. Yeah. Yeah. There was a brilliant intermediary period with Keith Richards when he stopped dyeing his hair. And then he suddenly panicked and died blue. Do you remember that? So what actually happened was the grey bits in his hair went blue and the bits that were still dark obviously remained dark. Yeah, and yeah. And that was extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I can think imagine. Trying, then he attached a load of uh, spoons and forks, <laughs> knives and sort of a <laughs> voodoo <laughs> rabbit uh, paws. I often think that's just stuff as detritus that's left in there. It may be, just he slept in a hedge or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so anyway, Tom said that for many years he, he wanted to let it grow white but there was still like the odd clump of dark hair growing in there and what I love about that logic is that it's better to have this ridiculous <laughs> yeah. boot polish black hair than it is to be a little bit salt and pepper exactly I'm very wrong wouldn't do or to bleach the small remaining bits of yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah. so gentlemen I've got one burning issue I want to throw before the, 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 the table here where do we stand on Florence and the Machine? Well, I, can, I, can I tell you my first well, observation? It was the headline of last night. Oh, I, I thought... The, did you see Florence? Well, I, I actually machine? watched The National for most of it, but I, I did pop out for a couple of... What do you think of The National? I thought The National were amazing. I was, uh, Reminded me of Joy Division. Yeah, well, I think his voice that, that does... Kind of, his, his voice definitely sounds like Ian Curtis and the intensity of the performance, but... Very intense. Yeah, they but, didn't look like they were having a lot of fun up there to me. I think that's the shtick, though, isn't yeah. it? It's the shtick. I don't think Joy Division were telling <laughs> gags in between. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Huggy started juggling at any point or <laughs> trying to balance plates. I think you just you enter the dark place, don't you? For, for, for uh, I think for so. Somebody said to me, uh, I was just uh, bumped into my old mate Chris, and he said, he said uh, there will be no men watching the obelisk stage, which was the Florence the Machines uh, stage, <laughs> and there will be no women. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, what a crass and reductive comment. <laughs> and actually, was largely accurate. Yeah, there was. It a was truth full to of that. Uh, very, very intense young men watching, watching, watching the National, and yes. uh, clearly you can't get into that group you'd, you'd be alright unless you've got a beard yes even this extended to the trumpet player they, they had a brass section even they had beards I, I do worry about having a beard though because I've had one for many years and you, had, you were ahead of the game yeah I, I grew up for the classic reason of um, trying to give my face an outline as the, the, the ch- <laughs> double chin became a triple chin trying to be a cartoon <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but then all of a sudden they've, they've become fashionable, which means there's going to be a point soon at which they become unfashionable. Yes, yeah. uh, I've, I've never never had any aspirations to be fashionable. Um, I'm happy to be way out of fashion, but yeah. I'm a little worried about the prospect no, yes. of being slightly behind the fashion. These people are on your patch, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, you know, they'll, they'll go and then somebody will be looking at me and say, look, it was six months ago. He's still wearing people, a beard! Yeah, yeah. Jeff Lloyd's yeah. beard, And then three years ago... Maybe he's only just grown it. Yeah, 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 three years' time, it'll be fine again. I'll just be way unfashionable. It's just the, the transitional no, period right. I'm worried so about. You, you, Florence, you, you, no, no, I tell you my observation about Florence. I came down this morning and a rather weird experience because you couldn't get into um, the face. It's not like Glastonbury where, where the whole site is open all night. Mm. People could just fall asleep under, underneath the pyramid stage or whatever. As far as I can see, the gates must be shut at some point and the site is emptied out. So I 
had the weird experience of having this production party of being virtually the only person in the entire site wandering around this morning, apart from Bell and Sebastian's string section, ah. who were, I don't know if you heard of the orchestra. But... Well, I got here and the lad had worked with... Oh, is said, that what I heard? Uh, yeah. He was trying to work out the song and it was Funny Little Frog. Yes. So yeah. I was so excited that they're going to play that tonight. Well, uh, yeah, and it was, uh, I love the, the level of excitement about Bell and Sebastian. This is their first performance, uh, as anyone listening will know, for a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, you know? and they also, years. they have an amazingly loyal constituency, yes. which I love. I'm very yeah. fond of the People idea will have travelled for this one. Yes. Intense devotion to this group. Yes. And, uh, and to the extent that I went over to their stage to watch them play, and I asked uh, a roadie, uh, tuning up some bass guitars, I said, is that the Bell and Sebastian string set? He said, you said uh, uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't possibly comment. I can I thought, neither confirm this, nor deny. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I, I thought, this is brilliant. Yeah. You know, for God's sake, it's just it's, me yeah. on my own yeah. in a completely empty You're in the park. entertainment <laughs> business. You know, there are uh, eight very good-looking girls playing violins <laughs> and me. Just tell me if it's Bell and Sebastian. That's like Bell and Sebastian songs is, by the way. to because throw you. Can I know it is. Russian spies are throwing themselves into the public <laughs> oh, gaze yeah, by balancing people's drinks. Rush behind an oak tree and, and brutally shot from even looking at them. But <laughs> anyway, the observation I have to, to, mm. to offer is, is that I looked down and discovered that I was standing on, this is not an exaggeration, but a crisp carpet of broken plastic jewellery. In fact, I'm, hand, I'm uh, holding here a, a sort of plastic rose. It must mm. be part of a, a finger ring, which is broken. And, and bits of old flowers and bits of broken gold necklaces. And obviously these are Florence's people. Can I just this say, is, you yeah. don't know this because you've got no daughters. No. All of these will have come from Claire's Accessories. Is that right? Claire's, yes, they Claire's will. Accessories, which is where 18, 19-year-old girls buy, you know, trendy costume jewellery. No I hope Claire value. is an evil despot like Mom in Fruit Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> And all that stuff. And look, Mark's going to... I've actually got some on my bag. It's not left there by the Romans. It's left there. Here, I've just got out a whole load of a bit of a broken gold necklace. And I'm not exaggerating. At the front of the stage, Mm. I suppose if it wasn't Florence, you would would probably call the mosh. This wouldn't really be a mosh. There'd be a lot of very excited uh, girls in in their 20s. Uh, leaping up and down, and losing cheap jewellery. Because as you express your enthusiasm for the theatrical show of Florence, so breaks your headpiece, <laughs> your necklace, doesn't it? Those are, you know, like certain opera singers can uh, break a wine glass. Florence yes. can shatter jewellery. She, she can shatter, shatter costume jewellery. A hundred yards in a crosswind. <laughs> I think oh, there's, there's great group. cross-promotion opportunity with Florence and Claire's accessories. I think there's a, there's a huge... I'm sure it's been investigated. They're in bed together. But boy, is she popular. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was gorgeous. People she was love good. her. I, I remember reading something by you, David, a while ago. I oh, my God. It, I don't know if it's on Twitter, <laughs> but uh, you, were, you were bemoaning the... Um, the slew of female singer songwriters. Uh, it was actually it was words you never want to hear. Uh, when I grew up listening to my uh, mum and dad's Joni Mitchell oh, records, which people oh, yeah. always say now. Yeah, yeah, of course they at, do. At first, I thought it was just a pose, and now every single yeah. singer songwriter between a certain age yeah. will say, "I grew up listening to my mum's uh, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, yeah. Neil Young, or whatever." I think that the was, other words you that? don't want to hear is um, "hotly tipped by Noel Gallagher." <laughs> 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 Alan McGee is the other yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alan McGee, the man oh, who discovered Oasis, is hotly tipped. Yeah. 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 But, um, 500th act. But, I, but what did you think? Did you see any of Well, of here's the thing. I, I do like Florence and Machine. When I first heard the record, I thought it was a fresh-sounding record, especially stuff like uh, uh, Kiss With A Fist and Dog Days, which reminded me of Belly, uh, and, and even some of the, the big stuff. I thought it, it... I actually enjoyed the fact that there was a generation of female performers coming through, and she seemed to be one of the first to break over the last couple of years, who didn't sound like they wanted to be on the X Factor, despite the uh, Candy Staten cover. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I liked the theatrics of the performance. So we did a thing with her in Abbey Road a while ago, and I, uh, it was really special, I thought. And I think her, her voice sounds great. With, with, the, with the kind of size of group she's got here, with the, with the choir? A bit, a, bit sm- a bit smaller, actually. Um, so I, I do like the record, and I, I know that will become hated uh, by a certain sector of the readership for saying that. Um, <laughs> And, and I've seen her live on a couple of occasions. There's that one and in a ballroom in Bloomsbury somewhere. And also um, we were at the Isle of Wight Festival and she performed there. And I thought she did a great job. I think the, you know, the, the wind machines and the daft flowing but outfits. That and thing the, the, she was wearing, I don't know if I can yeah. describe it adequately. She was dressed in a kind of white series of veils that appeared to be attached to her 
wrists, and I think also possibly to her ankles. Yes. Am I right? <laughs> so she got the maximum amount. You know more about this I, than me, Jonas. They're teenage I'm, I'm really that's... bad on clothes. I challenge know. the massive, actually. Yeah. I think if you go back in the bits of history, yeah. I think you'll find a picture, possibly even a smash hits poster, of Kate Bush wearing exactly Could the well same. It wouldn't surprise me. I think. Um, Could well be. Yeah. That look. Is very capable. Yeah, but I think her and Bat for Lashes and a few yes, of them, they must, they must, they must idolise um, idolise Kate Bush. It's music and movement. And yes. also, interestingly, she uh, Florence last night, part of her setup was not only a string bass, but also a cellist, a good girl yeah. cellist who was singing beautifully, actually. Yeah, there are no male cellists, of course. Uh, apart from Julian Lloyd Webber. So He's right. the exception that, that proves so the rule. True. So true. I never thought yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, are you yeah. not allowed to do no, it? No, only Julian Lloyd Webber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed also that all cellists and all string sections nowadays are entirely beautiful? Yes. And, uh, yeah, yeah, without exception. What happened to the old bald gits? I don't know. Maybe they've outsourced them. Have you, have you seen Maybe it? there are There's old bullshits in Lithuania somewhere. There's a shore somewhere. They've found an island somewhere. <laughs> have you seen the girls who play Beautiful with girls with long, yeah. long blonde hair who play Gorillas have got this string section called something like the Palm Beach Orchestra or something like that. Yeah. They, 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 they all look like girls who would have appeared at some stage on the front of a Roxy Music album. Yes. Mm. I mean, they are just beautiful beyond belief. Mm. This is but what I have. You see the same thing busking on the tubes, don't you? You see, you know, yeah. the string section. It's never, you know, you wouldn't confuse them for the Amadeus Quartet. They look like the medieval bay. Yeah, medieval bay. Because, yeah. you know. Of course, Nigel Kennedy played here the other night. He was the oh, first performance on, yeah, on the, you mean, on you the mean late gigged. stage. Did hey? you, see it? you mean gigged? Oh, yeah, he gigged, yeah. He, gigged. Nigel Nigel does does yeah, yeah. he, he lays down tracks. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> I saw Nigel Kennedy in 1988 in the Royal Abbott Hall with the London Simo- uh, uh, Philar- Philharmonic, would have been the Albion, and he referred to them as cats. <laughs> so, so we had a wild time on the road with these cats. Well, you can see them shriveling with horror. Much like Tom Jones just performing the new album, I I think Nigel Kennedy didn't do four seasons. He did some uh, some some jazz influence. We just did one he's, season. He's a Polish jazz band now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I am um, very strangely. I I share an accountant with Nigel Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of this podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is a fantastic. And, uh, it's a confessional I, podcast. I know this because I once went for a meeting and it ran. Uh, I was kept waiting an hour and a half, and the people on the reception were going, "Oh, we're really sorry to keep you waiting, but Nigel Kennedy's in there. There's somebody and, with a lot of money. Yeah, 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 more exactly. money than yeah, you." Yeah. So yes. at first, I was excited yeah. that I had the kind of accountants that had Nigel Kennedy as a as a client, but then I but then really know, pissed off that Nigel was yeah, in there well, boring the trousers yeah, off him yeah, with yeah. stories about hilarious viola players. So anyway, the Accountant, uh, the, my accountant Eddie brought um, Nigel Kennedy out at the end, and, and he said, "Oh, have you met Jeff? Uh, Jeff works on the radio." And uh, Nigel Kennedy said, "No." So I put my hand out to shake his hand, but instead of offering his hand for a handshake, he did that thing where he just made yeah, a fist. Yes. He just made a fist. Yeah. yeah, like a black power kind of bonding. Yeah, thing, I don't know if it's an OCD hygiene thing. He doesn't want to. <laughs> <make> <laughs> hands, but... Seriously, I mean, is there is he preserving his fingers? fingers? Well, yeah. seems... It's possible. Is it possible? Mark, Mark uh, King of Level Forty Two. Do you remember? Who, who, Marking of level 42, the greatest bass player in the world by his own admission. By his own admission. <laughs> I think he wasn't legally allowed to do the washing up or anything. He insured his thumb for a million pounds. Do you remember? Good work from him. If you were him now, you'd be trying, you'd be just desperately you whacking your thumb trying with to a get hammer. Your money, trying to get your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sticking it in a manual. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in a power socket. I once did a documentary with Mark King. I once did a documentary with Mark King in level 42 where he told me a, a genuinely funny musician's joke which I'm not going to tell the whole of, but it's about somebody wandering in Africa and he hears the tribal drums, you know, he's talking to a local... I know the punchline. <laughs> the yeah. joke is, when drums stop, very bad, very bad, you know, it keeps going. Why? Do, what's that? When drums stop, very bad, very bad. When drums stop, very bad, very bad. Why? You've got to tell me. When drums stop, bass... So bass, <laughs> bass showcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the brisk version of that. So what are you doing for the rest of the day, John? Uh, so I've got back-to-back interviews. And then here's the thing I wanted to talk to you about. I've been cajoled into doing a stage announcement to introduce Bell and Sebastian. Good God, that's now, amazing. Well, it, it is and it isn't. So I've got, got really mixed feelings on it. Um, like, so Allow yourself to be cajoled. Okay, okay. My, this advice. is what I wanted to ask you about. Because, oh, yes. Um, I'm Specialist much, subject. Yeah, it's a I big think, deal. Yeah, they're one of my favourite bands. I dearly, dearly love Bell and Sebastian. Um, but... I'd, I always think if somebody goes on to make an, a stage announcement, if somebody sees somebody other than the band, if the audience sees somebody other than a band, you're just looking out at thousands of pairs of eyes filled with hatred. No. No? Not true. No, I don't think Fundamentally so. Fundamentally not true. No, no, Do don't so? worry no. about it at all. It's, I feel very strongly about this. Yeah. I think the, it's one thing that 99% of contemporary bands fall down on. It's yeah. just basic stagecraft. 
the audience have been standing there for a while. Yeah. They want to know that something's going to happen. They want to enjoy the moment yes. when somebody comes yeah, I on. Could, I couldn't agree and, more. And the only thing you've got to be clear about is when you announce them, yes. they come on. Yes. Now, that's always the worry. The long gap. You no, do it, the big announcement, and then on shuffle somebody who you think is a bass player and turns out to be a roadie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Adjusting yeah, yeah. a monitor or something like that. Yeah. If, you, if you've got it with, organised with them, that when you say whatever you're going to say, yes. like Sebastian, they're going to be on, it's going to be great, because yeah, the audience so. want a cue. I, I've, had, I've had bad experiences in the past. I introduced uh, New Order at, I think it was Manchester GMEX, when, when they reformed in the sort of 97, 98, and it was a really late gig. It may have even, I've got an odd feeling it was New Year's Eve. If it wasn't, it was that weird time between Christmas and New Year. And... Um, I was so nervous, and again, one of my favourite bands, New Order. So I'd, I'd gone on, and I think at the time, I'd, like, I was living in Manchester, it's where I'm from, and I was wearing a big sort of zip-up, Bernard Sumner, and I thought I'd ingratiate myself with people. And uh, I'd gone on, and I'd prepared my stage announcement, and I announced, New Order, and, and there was nothing, no, well, nothing at all. And I thought, well, that's strange. So anyway, the band came on, and people went nuts. And I thought, well, at least it's a nice counterpoint for the audience, the antipathy uh, towards me, and uh, and then the excitement of New Order. And I went off and found my girlfriend, and she said, uh, "Oh, we saw you up there. What were you doing?" Oh, you and the it. microphone wasn't on. Oh. It was just in the it was in the monitors. It wasn't on the oh, PA. Oh, yeah, That's yeah, the exactly. second experience I had interviewing and introducing Nick Lowe and his band at the Cornbury Festival. Uh, really? Yeah. And I'd really thought about it because I love Nick Lowe. Yeah. And I had prepared. Uh, probably about a minute and a quarter, which is a very long time. Yes. Talking about my experience uh, aged uh, 15 or 16 as the first rock group I ever saw. Yeah. You know? And I thought, I'm not getting much love here. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Eventually, some people said, can't hear you! Because <laughs> that's really, really demoralising. So I think you've got to start yes. with, and it might sound amateurish, can you hear me? Right, yeah. And then wait until you get a response. Yes, and then and start. And then launch into your thing. And don't be shy at all. Right. We once did a thing on the Word website, didn't we? The 10 greatest oh, uh, yeah. live uh, yeah. introductions off live albums or bootlegs uh, or whatever. And when they're good, they're better than the gig. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. When they're good, there's so much part of people's yeah. experience. You know, the... Um, Bob Marley and the Whalers live at Don, Don Taylor, this I want to tell you is the Trenchtown yeah. experience all the way from Trenchtown, Jamaica. Bob, Bob yeah, Marley yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Whalers. That's all he says. And, but, it, but it's the voice yeah. that says it. Yeah. And the great Kid Leo thing on the Bruce Springsteen uh, bootleg in Cleveland where he goes, you know, the main event, weighing in at 200, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love that. Yeah? It's part of the damn experience. Okay. It's, you know, every other branch of show business. Yes, you would. Nobody would yeah. wander on stage without. I, I, I'm going to. I'm going to. I don't think that's a good idea for Bell and Sebastian. But I, 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 think, <laughs> I, think, I think in Chris. Yeah. No, I'm not. But I, I think what you should, the key they thing with Bell and Sebastian. I, Who likes corduroy? That's right. Yeah. We want all the girls over here, yeah. right? And all the boys. Over. Who likes the charm of a faded seaside <laughs> town? <laughs> <laughs> in my way, look, that's they've been brilliant. standing there for a while, craning yeah. their necks. Yeah. They want, to, they want to feel up for it. Yeah. Like no, I, think do. I think the key thing, apart, from ending, <laughs> apart from ending with the words, please welcome, yes. after all this time, yeah. the legendary yeah. Bell and Sebastian, yeah. that works. I think the key thing is to remind people this is a really epic event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to say how long they haven't played for, and just to yeah. remind everybody, in case of the unlikely that they don't know, yeah. of just this is the most intense, this is the high point, actually, probably. On yeah, this I, I think so. It but really is. I also have this thing, being and a radio the, DJ, I think it's a profession that is tainted by idiots and uh, so I think if you go on stage as a radio DJ the assumption is oh it's an idiot he's going to start throwing t-shirts and kicking beach balls yeah. into yeah, yeah, the yeah. crowd I know what so, you mean but yeah. I, I think you worry about it too much. Do you but, think but, so? But, but, I think you worry just, about it too but, much. But do it really, just keep it brief. Keep it brief. I think the answer is, yeah, can, can you hear me? And then it's just to remind okay. people of just how special and how extraordinary yes. and how, how exclusive, actually, to this festival that this moment is. There just, were children a lot in of this people crowd here. who will pretend they remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, that That's kind of very good. Yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. there are a lot of people here tonight who have come uh, today, this weekend, who have come specifically to see this, yeah. this thing. And that's yeah. what you should remind people. It's and the just, key event. Just on the subject of great stage announcements, uh, I don't know if either of you saw Caitlin Moran tweeted a YouTube link to Live Aid to Tommy Vance introducing oh, Dire Straits do, do at Live now. Aid. It's brilliant. I heard it on the other day. <laughs> yeah, it was 
was uh, it was um, money for nothing, yeah. chicks for free. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, this is a band who's uh, the lyrics to one of their songs says they get their money for nothing and chicks for free. But tonight they're hell- here to help feed the starving millions. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly right. right. uh, TV on radio. I think yeah. he went to his grave. The larynx on radio. That was him. I know. And he and actually he wasn't in the stadium at all. He probably phoned it in from home. Yeah, he was actually doing a voiceover for denim aftershave. <laughs> Dear old Tommy. For men who don't have to try too well, hard. Jeff, thank you very much. Well, thank you, long-time listener, first-time contributor. That's delightful to very have nice you here. Yeah. And, uh, and people can, can follow your, uh, your tracking of uh, what's going on at Latitude yes. on, uh, on Absolute Radio. Yes, yeah, so I'm guessing they'll All get this podcast after we've... After, after we'll do it as quick as possible. Oh, great. Then, yeah, yeah it's going to be on the radio on this Sunday night. This is going to go up within an hour or so. Oh, yeah. then it's, there's going to be a three-hour programme on the radio on Sunday night, a highlights programme. But um, we're videoing everything as well, all the interviews and things, so people will be able to get it on demand, as they say, on the, uh, on the website, which I'm sure people can Google if they have the, uh, the money Very to. good, very good. Yeah. Thank Ta- you very much. Time for a pie. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. For more details, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>